You're listening to Vernacular Podcast. Hello and welcome to Vernacular Podcast. This is episode seven. I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. And today we are talking to Will and Caitlin, but before we bring them on, it's time for your tip of the week. Hashtag tip of the week. So this week, the tip of the week is about Father's Day. If you're listening to this episode as it has just come out, then you know that Father's Day, or hopefully you know that Father's Day is just around the corner. It's on Sunday, actually. So we wanted to remind all of our listeners to be sure to remind your father how much you care about them and how grateful you are for all the times that he has been there for you. This could be with a card, a gift, or a simple phone call, but we encourage you to do something. Don't forget your dads. And faithful listeners of Vernacular Podcast will remember that in our Mother's Day tip of the week, we talked about the history of the holiday and how a woman named Anna Jarvis invented the holiday to honor her mother, but how she eventually realized that the holiday had become a monster taken over by giant retailers like Hallmark, and she basically disowned the holiday. So do we see the same thing in Father's Day? We don't see the same thing in Father's Day exactly, but we do see a similar similar storyline in the sense that for Mother's Day, Anna Jarvis thought that Mother's Day was important, and she was inspired to do that to to start this day because of her own mother, who was a Civil War nurse, a la Florence Nightingale. She wasn't mm-hmm. Florence Nightingale, but she was like Florence Nightingale. So she'd taken over, taken care of sick soldiers on the battlefield. So that's why Anna Jarvis wanted to honor her mother because her mother was an extraordinary person like that. And the founder of Father's Day, Sonora Smart Dodd from Spokane, Washington, wanted to honor her father, who was a Civil War veteran. Oh, wow. So we basically see the Civil War uh, creating the circumstances for the creation of Mother's and Father's Day. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. So that happened in Spokane, Washington. And uh, Sonora Dodd tried several times to get it going. And it was a thing in Spokane. Apparently, the first... The first Father's Day, it was a basically a series of network sermons around Spokane where the pastors all decided to talk about the importance of fathers. So that was how the first Father's Day was observed. But eventually it became a national thing. Uh, and it was, of course, aided by retailers like Hallmark yes. who wanted to promote it. I don't know if Hallmark was around then, but retailers like Hallmark. So. Right, right. So anyway, there it is. Your tip of the week, the history of Father's Day, Sonora Smart Dodd in Washington State. Who would have thought? All right, we're back with Will and Caitlin. Will and Caitlin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. We're pretty excited to have you on here and talk about a bunch of different things. Before we begin, though, I was wondering if you guys could just introduce yourself in a few words to our audience. Sure. Um, this is Will. My wife's voice is not quite the same. <laughs> and um, I'm a mathematician. I currently work at Tulane University. Um, so... What that means is that I, I teach a few classes, and I also do a lot of research. So I'll write papers, I'll go to conferences, and basically I get to think about really interesting stuff and drink a lot of coffee and have fascinating conversations. It's really it's, – it's a great job, and I get off all weekends and holidays. I have a question for you, Will. Uh, so for our audience, Will and I met around two and a half years ago. And we met in Oxford when Will was still working on his doctoral dissertation for mathematics. And at the time we met, I asked Will if he could describe to me what he was working on. And 
He sat there with an expression on his face that showed me he was deep in thought. And about 30 seconds later, he announced to me that he probably couldn't explain it to me because it was just too complicated. <laughs> so, so Will, my question for you is, after two and a half years of thinking about it, are you prepared to explain to me <laughs> what your dissertation was all about? Well, I, I, I'm not sure what exactly I was working on at the time where I said that. Uh, so sometimes I'll work on different kinds of problems in slightly different areas of mathematics. And I am working on something right now that probably is describable in a reasonably short period of time. All right, perfect. <laughs> Yay! You have 30 seconds. <laughs> Wait, yeah, right? that's, that's not Wait, short reasonably time. short? I thought this was an hour-long program. <laughs> so... One of the things that I've been studying recently is this this property called indivisibility. And what that means... Uh, like so like certain, one nation indivisible under God with liberty and justice for all, that kind of thing? Kind yes. of like that. So etymologically similar. Anyway. Okay, okay. So but what it means, a mathematical structure is indivisible. If whenever I try to break it into two pieces, one of the two pieces contains an identical copy of the thing I started with. All right, so it's a little like the, uh, I, don't, I don't even know if this is true, but my middle school science teacher told us that if you cut a starfish in half, um, then both halves will regrow into a whole starfish again. It's kind of like that, but with a mathematical object. Uh, no matter how you choose to divide it up, no matter how cleverly you try to tear it apart, each piece, or at least one of the two pieces, the larger in some sense of the two pieces, will contain a copy of the original. And so this property uh, tells you something about the structure you started with. It says that it uh, contains lots of copies of itself. It says that it has a reasonably intricate um, sort of, well, it just it's a reasonably intricate structure, and it's interesting in certain ways if it has this property. So anyway, I've, I've been looking into that property a bit lately and studying uh, some naturally occurring objects in the world of set theory that have this property. Maybe a, a fairly easy-to-grasp example would be if you take an infinite collection of stuff and you try to divide it in two, one of the pieces is still going to be infinite, so you still have an infinite collection of stuff. And now you know why I dread when people ask me what my husband does. <laughs> well, then just tell us what you do, Caitlin. <laughs> um, I am a stay-at-home mom to two of the world's cutest kids. Uh, Lucy is two and a half, and Sam just turned two months old. Hey, and we can vouch for that, that they are two of the most cutest kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're pretty great. We'll keep them. All right, so on our uh, on your pre-interview questionnaires that you uh, filled out, uh, you indicated to us, or at least you did, Will, that you were interested in space stuff. Yeah, so either, said the same. What's that? I don't know if Caitlin would have said the same, but I did put that down. Okay. <laughs> well, there are a few space news items that caught our attention uh, most recently, or maybe most importantly, is the fact that a NASA spacecraft is about to uh, fly by the Kuiper Belt, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yes. And uh, in the Kuiper Belt is the planet formerly known as, or maybe the, the, space, the space object formerly known as the planet of Pluto, I should say. <laughs> Still Pluto, but not the planet, right? Right, right. So sadly, it's been demoted. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that uh, the probe going by Pluto right now is probably the most exciting thing happening in science news. I, you know, it's my biased opinion. But it's, it's absolutely amazing that we're sending things that far out. Um, to do exploration, that we're able to, that we're able to send something 
directly by a planet that we aimed. Well, I mean, okay, so we're communicating with this craft and we're aiming it along the way. It has uh, thrusters and things on board. But this thing launched nine years ago. That is incredible. Wow. Yes, it, it's, it's like the Hubble telescope that's still sending us images. Sure. So when you sure. say that far into space, what is that far? Oh, it's, it's amazingly far. Um, so, so the moon, for example, is in space, right? We think of that as very, very, very far away. And indeed, it took us a very long time to figure out how to fly to the moon. Um, I mean, of course, putting men on the moon was a huge accomplishment. It took uh, a decade of hugely focused effort and a lot, of, a lot of time and research before that. But the moon is actually very, very, very close compared to how close Pluto is. So if, if you think of the moon as maybe walking two or three blocks um, you know, to a friend's house or to a, to a grocery store, uh, going to Pluto would be like driving from New York to L.A. Wow. I mean, it's... it's Almost whole, incomprehensible. That is crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not a comparable distance. It's much, much, much larger. Well, I think NASA shares your enthusiasm. I found this really interesting trailer from them talking about the voyage of their craft that's about to reach Pluto. Listen to this. There's a mysterious zone far out in our solar system. It's a region of ice worlds, some solitary, some with moons. Their names may be unfamiliar. Eris, Makemake, Haumea, but they hold clues to all our origins. And the first of these worlds, and the one we'll reach in 2015, is the king of the Kuiper Belt, Pluto. The long journey of NASA's New Horizons mission began in 2006 aboard America's biggest... Isn't that awesome? <laughs> that is awesome. I actually watched that same video. Oh, did you really? Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an inspiring video. I love that sort of stuff. You know, I, I, was, I was—I have to say—I was never pumped up about Pluto until that point, like thirty seconds in, where that pump-up music. Everything starts. pauses and the pump-up music just goes. Yeah, yeah. Pluto <laughs> in the zone. I'm not sure if they want you to watch it or like do lunges to it. Right, but I'm, exactly. I'm it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I was doing both actually. <laughs> so, I mean, it's that sort of attitude that got Pluto demoted from planethood. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Pluto got himself a new, you know, PR guy. <laughs> <laughs> he must have, because this is just radically different. He never would have lost Planethood if they'd been doing PR like this. Seriously. <laughs> I, think, I think it's just, in general, it's an exciting time of history to be interested in space and science and stuff like that. I mean, so when I was a kid and first learning about the planets and thinking, oh, wow, that's really cool, I learned about Pluto's moon, Sharon. And now if you read about Pluto, you'll actually find that Pluto has five moons, four of them we just didn't know about when I was a kid. And the same thing, I think I remember learning about the 16 moons of Jupiter, and now there are, I don't even know how many, I want to say 29, but that might not be right. Um, Do you think we'll see a manned mission to Mars in our lifetime? Well, I hope so, because uh, they are planning on one, or at least they're hoping to plan on one by the year 2035. Right. So, so eat your veggies, guys. Yeah, we're not that old. <laughs> But of course, I always I find that question interesting because it's not just a technology question, but also a policy question. Because the, the you know space initiatives like the race to the moon mm -hmm. require so much money that they yes. need they need political support to happen. And sure. if you look at the last uh, probably mm, I would say probably the last at least decade and a half, the political support just hasn't been there for America's space program in particular. That's right. 
That's 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 very right. Um, and a mission to Mars would be hugely expensive, and we would need lots and lots and lots of funding from probably lots and lots of different governments. Um, it would probably be a cross-country collaborative. Absolutely, yeah. Happen. I mean, just to the, the International Space Station, but times ten. Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, I guess I should say that I hope it happens by 2035. Um, I hope it happens. If not by then, at least. Uh, you know, within our lifetimes, hopefully uh, the latter is longer than the former, and um, yeah, it would be it would be an, certainly an amazing thing to watch and see. So, Will, if you if you had the offer on the table to be a, a crew member on the first manned mission to Mars, would you do it? Let me answer that for you. <laughs> he would want to say yes, <laughs> but the wife would probably vote no. It would be a long trip. That's for yeah. sure. It'd be a very long trip. I think with current technology, uh, it would be on the order of a year. And with certain proposed technologies to make things a bit faster, uh, maybe on the order of a few months, which is still very a very long time. Yeah. Definitely. Well, and, and to me, I just think it's a terrifying thought to be so far away from everyone else. Yeah, from literally everyone And there's there's no guarantee of your safe return and... I mean, it seems to me that the probability would actually be below 50% that you would get home in one piece because there's a lot of things that can go wrong when you're going to Mars and back. Yeah, I mean, I've seen Interstellar, and clearly there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Yeah, I mean, you never know when you're going to get sucked into a time warp. And, <laughs> a black know. hole. So right. did you see Interstellar, Will? I did. What did you think of that? A while ago. I saw it when it first came out. Okay, are you a fan? Um, fan can be a strong word. I did really enjoy the movie. I thought it was interesting how they wove in uh, a lot of very legitimate science into the movie. Um, you know, the whole idea of gravity, uh, warping time like that, for example, that, that's, that's a real scientific thing. Uh, Einstein's theory of general relativity, it's, it's an implication of that theory. And I thought it was interesting to see that come into the plot. Yeah, I, I thought that as well. And I, I, I'm not a mathematician like you, so I can't vouch for the accuracy of the science in the film. But uh, I was in general disappointed with it because I thought it all turned a bit hokey at the very end when um, Matthew McConaughey found, spoiler alert for our listeners, but when Matthew McConaughey found himself in the big, like, you know, five dimensions of bookshelves and was able to communicate with his daughter. Yeah, in, I was with was just them weird. until then. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I'll agree with you there. I think not only did the science fall apart at that point, but I felt like the, the message fell apart a little bit too. Right. right. Yeah, I liked it when it seemed, I mean, again, I don't either know whether it was accurate, but it seemed really scientific and it seemed like they were just trying to project out into the future of space. But... Yeah, when he got stuck in those bookcases, I was just like, this is becoming ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you had been here a few weeks ago, you could have told Matthew in person. Oh, and that's true. He was living down the street from us. I no say down way. Street, no. Yeah, we, we live right um, across from Audubon Park in New Orleans. And uh, he was renting a house there, I guess, while he was shooting something. So we saw... I saw him, I saw his wife and kids. Are you serious? That's crazy. Yeah. Um, my sister tried to hide in the bushes to get a better view and I dragged her out. So, you know. Did you say hi? No. Um, they were in their little house yard area. And you just, I don't know, New Orleans has a really great reputation for um, respecting the privacy of celebrities. And so I was trying to uphold our reputation. And Very not good of you. You should have, you should have uh, pretended you didn't recognize them and brought them cookies to welcome them to the neighborhood. Yeah, that would be hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Be like, oh, I'm sorry, you seem really familiar. <laughs> have I seen you somewhere? 
That's so awesome. Or just, because... just tell him he looks like the guy in Sahara. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> or, or he Has anyone ever like told you? Like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually, New Orleans is a pretty celebrity-heavy spot. We've seen a bunch of people around here. Um, I once did pull-ups with Woody Harrelson in the park. But he didn't know it was Woody Harrelson until I told him afterwards. That's true. Caitlin had to tell me after. So you actually, you could have genuinely acted surprised and just said he looked like Woody Harrelson. <laughs> <laughs> I almost, I, I thought about telling him that he looks like Woody Harrelson. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I probably should have. It would have been funny. So did you do more pull-ups than he did? Uh, yeah, of course. Oh, good. <laughs> Okay, well, Caitlin, if you won't let Will go to Mars, then where are you guys going this summer? Oh, I wish I had an amazing vacation to tell you about, but the truth is, is that we're moving this summer. Uh, we just bought a house, so um, that's I think exciting. Our, yeah, it is exciting. I think the only vacation that I'm getting is um, staying with my parents for a few weeks while we're in limbo between apartment and house. Staying with your parents doesn't quite qualify as a yeah, vacation. Yeah, that does not count. <laughs> you have kids though it's kind of amazing it's like all of a sudden there's these extra helpers around 24 7 and you can do things like go to the grocery store by yourself okay that makes so, sense um maybe that just shows you know our stage of life but it sounds pretty awesome to me yeah, no, we, have, fair point. we have sally's sally's parents visiting over july 4th weekend and i was suggesting that we take take that opportunity to go see Jurassic World. <laughs> and I felt badly because I thought, well, we're going to exclude the parents if we're leaving them to take care of our daughter. But then I pointed out that they probably really want to babysit for us because Absolutely. they never spend time with our daughter. So Yeah. We, we make that pretty much every time that, I mean, if it's a long enough visit, if it's a weekend, then we won't. But if we're there, if we're with my family for a week or so, we almost always take advantage of the free babysitters yeah, and exactly. rest on state. So I say go for it. <laughs> Um, well, we have two vacations planned for this summer. One is a driving one. We're hoping to go to Nashville after hearing how wonderful it is on episode five with Jordan and Catherine. Yes. And then our second vacation is centered around a wedding that Zach is in in Boston in August. And that will require flying. <laughs> yeah, so we're actually going to fly into New York so we can spend a couple days in New York City and then train up from there on the Acela um, and then spend, I think, three days in Boston and then go to the that's, wedding and then leave. That sounds, sounds like fantastic. a lot of fun. Have you guys traveled this far before with Esther? Um, We've gone to Philadelphia with Esther. Yes. To see my parents. Yeah, on a plane. Yeah. And then and then we've driven the same amount, the same distance before because Nashville is only about four hours from here. So, yeah, we have, though, I think... She was a little bit more portable the last few times that we portable. traveled. <laughs> She's not stuck her in the trunk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's not as portable now. <laughs> not that she's a thing, but <laughs> She's just less amenable to sitting in a car seat the entire time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're looking forward to that as we make the drive um to our new home. It's it's a little bit of a hike and that's gonna be it's gonna be special yeah. with two kids. <laughs> Well, thinking, speaking of challenging traveling, um, we should talk about our worst vacation stories because I think those are always fun. We should. Right. But not story, not stories of bad vacations, just stories of bad things that happened to us while we were on vacation. So do you guys have any of those stories? Um, <laughs> so there was this big math conference in Greece in this beautiful little town called Nafpaktos. And it's, it's on the, the, coast 
of the Gulf of Corinth, and there's just this crystal blue water um, beneath these sunny skies where it never rained, and there's mountains behind and mountains across the Gulf as well. Um, it really was wow. uh, one of the most picturesque places I've ever been. And, you know, in the evenings, uh, the conference would end every day at 2 o'clock. I didn't know that when I signed up to go to this conference. I think that a lot of people there were using it as sort of a way to work half a day and then vacation half a day. A lot of people brought their wives and their families. Not this guy. I didn't know that. <laughs> I was all business, so I went tisk, there to math it up all day long. Caitlin stayed behind. Uh-huh. It was a wonderful vacation. Um, you know, got to, for example, one day read my Greek New Testament while sitting on the beach and drinking a little wine and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. But the bad part, one day I decided to go hiking uh, in the mountains. Um, just an afternoon, I felt like getting some exercise and exploring a little bit. So I started to make my way up this up the side of this mountain. And, uh, you know, I was having a hard time of it because there weren't any trails or anything. So I was, I was making my way as best I could. And there were some rocks, but really it was just a lot of very, very tall grass and stuff like that and big bushes getting in the way. And at one point, uh, without uh, seeing it first, because it was actually below the grass line, I walked straight into a barbed wire fence. Oh, gosh. And oh, I actually no. didn't even realize I was doing it at first. I just sort of felt some pressure on my leg and then tried to sort of power through it. I thought I was tearing through a vine or something. Um, but in fact, I cut my leg really, really badly. I still have. I still tried have to power through a barbed wire <laughs> fence. <laughs> that just shows do the it. kind of person you are. That'll do it. <laughs> I thought, you know, maybe I'd run into some sort of viney thing with thorns on it. And I was just like, I'm just going to pull oh. this thing off or whatever it's attached to. But instead, I pulled it through my leg a little bit. <gasps> and um, it was, I mean, thankfully, it was a very old fence and not incredibly sharp. So the cut could have been deeper. Um, it could have been worse. So, Reed, he probably should have gotten a tetanus shot. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. Instead, I poured some ouzo on it when I got back to my hotel. <laughs> That's uh, Greek liquor, by the way. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, the, the, the worst part was that I did this on this mountain um, with the city of Nakbaktos in between myself and my beach hotel. And I was probably about two miles from the hotel. Oh, no. So first I'm hiking down this mountain through all this brush, you know, climbing oh, over yeah. giant boulders and things, leaving a trail of blood behind me. I mean, probably <laughs> probably a, a tracker or somebody could have, could have found me from the trail of blood. But then I have to actually go through the city. So I'm having <laughs> tourists giving me this, the strangest looks because I have this extreme, you know, one leg is very, very, very bloody. The other leg is a little bit bloody, and I'm just sort of walking through town. Um, oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. At one point, I decided, okay, I look stupid enough anyway. I'm just going to run through town. So, obviously, I, I look really dumb. But You I'm, look I'm, like you're I'm, being chased by someone. Like, you're mauled, <laughs> yeah, that's and true. they're chasing that's a good point. you. Because <laughs> the running bleeding man is not as weird as a walking bleeding man. <laughs> anyway, to top it Your all logic off, is sound, Will. Yeah. To top it all off, I told you this was a math conference. Yeah. Uh, I, on you know, right before I got back to my hotel, I ran into one of the most famous mathematicians there. His name is Jan von Mill. You probably don't know who that is, but he's this really famous mathematician whom I really look up to. And you know, there I am. I don't know him that well, and I'm just sort of running by him with a very bloody leg, and he's giving me this look like, "What is happening?" Tonight? Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, That's that was awesome. my fun vacation. Story. That's pretty good. Wow. Yeah. Well, another one I remembered was, um, and I had forgotten about this was that on our honeymoon, we had gone to um, this little lake house up in the Texas Hill Country. It was gorgeous. It was super remote. 
just planning to have a nice relaxing week. Um, and about day three or four, there's so much nature around us that Will starts mm. having a severe allergic re- reaction to whatever is surrounding this little lake house. So much so that he can't sleep, he can't breathe, and the closest town is about an hour away. <sighs> so we actually ended up cutting our honeymoon short and leaving early because poor Will was so miserable. Oh, no. Um, yeah. So of all the times, of all the times. Yeah. We actually have a, a collection of bad vacation sure. stories that we but, can choose from. But. but we won't tell all of them. One occurred in Barcelona last summer. We were um, there for about a week. And when we arrived, it was super hot because it was late June slash early July. And our apartment, which we had gotten through House Trip, which is kind of like Airbnb, had a little... Not It was like the air conditioning version of a space heater, and it was just sitting in the middle of the room. And the room was nice and cool, and it was great. And we arrived, and we took a nap, and when we woke up, there was water all over the floor. Wait a second. An air conditioner that sits in the middle of the room? Yeah. I don't know what you call that. but Having studied thermodynamics a little bit in college, I'm pretty sure that's not even possible. I don't know. That's what I remember. It wasn't wasn't an air conditioning unit that sticks into your wall or window. It was, it was a standalone air conditioner. Huh? Yeah. I mean, I I believe that somebody has manufactured one and that this hotel had one. I just, I can't believe that it actually cools the room. I mean, it it, didn't for long. Yeah. It worked for a little (laughs) bit and whatever process it used to cool the room collected water and then you had to like, empty the almost like a dehumidifier you have to empty the tray it was like that oh weird um okay. so it was, was was the water hot when you emptied it uh well i, I actually so. don't know because we never got a chance to empty it because which, it just spread all over the floor <laughs> which leads to the next part of the story which is where the air conditioner breaks down and leaks everywhere and so we contact the landlady um and let her know to tell the guy who we were actually renting the space from. Um, and she unfortunately... Well, well, basically, it was it was pretty shady to begin with because we went through House Trip, which Sally mentioned is like Airbnb. But the landlord... Maybe a little less reputable, but yeah, I don't know. Probably, probably least, less reputable. At least in this experience, it was. But the landlord was named Maria, and she lived like a, a story below. So we were on the, the third or fourth floor, and she was in the, the, the flat or the apartment below us. But the person that we we worked through, that we corresponded with, was named Javier, and he was acting like the landlord in House Trip. So when we had a problem, we were supposed to go to Javier, but then Maria would show up. And the problem was Maria knew no English at all. Yeah, so he would send her as his like liaison, but we couldn't communicate with her. So we would we would have to, and, and we didn't, we don't speak Spanish either, yeah. which is <laughs> terrible. Not but, enough to talk about it. We don't know Spanish. She didn't know English, so we couldn't figure out how to resolve things with Maria. So we'd have to use Javier, like message him uh, through text as a go between, because he wasn't. He was. We never met Javier. We actually don't know um, if he's a real person. <laughs> but we ne- we never met him. He would just try to mediate between us and Maria, and it was just. A terrible situation but we never got an air conditioner instead they brought us a fan which did nothing because the air was already really hot and humid so and we were high up right yeah. so it just kept the hot air circulating through the room which i guess was better than nothing but not a whole lot better than nothing so then at night when it cooled down outside we would open up our windows and hopefully get some cool air in but because we were in the middle of the city and in a very busy alleyway um, at about eight o'clock or nine o'clock, the city just livened up and everyone woke up and everyone was outside of our apartment making loud noises and dancing and singing and pretty much in preventing us from falling asleep. And ordinarily we could have been fine with that because we could have been outside of our apartment at 9 PM 
you know, till 2 a.m. dancing and singing with everyone else. Well, but I mean, maybe you could have been. But. Well, the reason we couldn't was because, or the reason we didn't was because Sally was six months pregnant at this point. Yeah, this is our baby So moon. it's hard, it's hard to, you know, party the night away when you're six months pregnant. So Definitely. we were trying to be good about um, getting the sleep that Sally Adequate needed rest. and all of this. And it was very hard to do in Barcelona. Yeah, because we either were stiflingly hot inside of our room or... We were sort of cooler and sleep deprived. Right. <laughs> yeah. But all that to say, it was one of the best vacations we've ever done because Barcelona yeah, was Barcelona did not disappoint, even if our little flat did. Yeah, even being overheated, it was still a wonderful vacation. The beaches were amazing. We went into well, we were in a historic quarter, but we went to the the Olympic Village one of the days we were there as well, and the Barcelona Museum, and it was really amazing. Yeah, it was. Um, well, before we wrap this up, I wanted to talk a little bit about tips for traveling with kids. And sure. I think you guys it's have tricky. the authority on that point, though maybe we have a few tips we could think about. <laughs> well, I guess that the first thing I would say is if you can schedule your flight, car trip, or whatever around your kid's nap schedule, if your child has a nap schedule, um, that really makes it infinitely easier. I love flying later, at, you know, like getting a 6.30 flight because our daughter goes down to sleep at about 7. So, you know, um, a couple minutes into the flight, she'd normally wind down and end up just falling asleep. Um, we also were known to wake up and leave for a road trip at 3 in the morning mm-hmm. just because she would fall asleep in her car seat and give us another, you know, three or four hours on the road before having to stop. Um, and then I guess too, if your kids are of the age where they can be distracted by a little kid's TV show, I mean, we're normally pretty tight on the, on the TV thing in our house, but when it comes to road trips, plane trips, um, sort of, you kind of have to throw the rules out the window. So if that means that you listen to Daniel Tiger for the entire six hours, (laughs) um, if you don't know who Daniel Tiger is, you are one lucky person, but the day is coming. Um, (laughs) You know, if that if that's what gets you through it and all of those little fruit pouches, then you do what you got to do. <laughs> um, I think that's the, my biggest tip yeah. actually, for traveling with kids. And, you know, it's I actually miss those 3 a.m. road trips a little bit. It's kind of fun in its own way. Um, I would get little chocolate-covered coffee beans to snack on, oh, a yum. cup of coffee nice. next to me. And, yeah, I would have the entire road to myself for three or four hours and I'd just think about a math problem or something. So. Yeah, I don't miss those road trips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I need more sleep. We channeled you guys about a month ago when we started our mini road trip, just four and a half hours to see my parents at right before Esther's bedtime so that she would fall asleep. We hadn't tried that before because we had these visions of her just waking up and being overtired, but it act- it did work. It worked and we're going to definitely try it again because it made the trip go by so much faster. It was the fastest four and a half hours ever. Yeah. And then especially in contrast to then two days later returning, attempting to time it with her nap, somehow it, that didn't work and she was just upset the entire time. It was oh, awful. <laughs> and like you, know, you will, I like driving when the road is empty. There's something really peaceful about it. Yeah. It's, it's kind of nice. Right. Yeah. I think, um, I guess the other thing, depending on how old your kid is, but we, at this stage of the game, I'll go out and buy stickers or something, something small like that, that I can hand Lucy in the back seat if she starts getting a little antsy and we're not ready to pull over just yet. Um, just anything that keep them entertained. I've been known to buy a cheap toy or two to pull out to keep her distracted mm-hmm. in those, you know, moments where the traffic is slowed down or, um, same thing for a plane ride. I might have 
bought a new book for her so we can read it 20 times through, but she'll sit happily and listen to me read it the entire way. So yeah, that's a good idea. Get something new that, that is a surprise and a sure. different than usual. Yeah. That's a really good idea. We'll have to do that in August for our Boston trip. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> we didn't bring anything new on one of our recent driving trips. Um, and so I pulled out my chapstick. <laughs> she was chapstick just enter- is great. entertained yep. by that with the lid chapstick, on. <laughs> cell phones, if you've got a good case, a right, waterproof right. case. Yeah, she loves the cell phones. Yeah. Lucy had a thing for socks for a while there. Um, my nice. socks. Oh, really? I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Socks. What else? Yeah, all the, any, any little thing in your purse that you <laughs> Exactly. That they probably shouldn't have. The wallet, that's fun to go through. <laughs> Driver's licenses, we're big fans of those. Yeah, yeah, Esther is in a teething phase, so she'll just suck on anything. <laughs> yeah, that works, definitely. All right, so tell us how you guys met. And how you fell in love. Oh, mm. like those are two one. different questions because those happened at two very different times, didn't they? They did. They did. Um, well, I guess I was a, a just a wee freshman mm. at Baylor University. And um, I had a friend who I'd made my freshman year who told me that the, there were these two guys that were madly in love with her and she couldn't decide which one she wanted to date. Um, and one, well, of, one of them was, by the way. The other one was me. And I don't remember ever being madly in love with her, but... That's... Apparently, she got that impression somehow. <laughs> anyway. Irrelevant, irrelevant. So um, she one day called me up and said, okay, I'm having – I had already met the guy, Kyle, who she actually ended up marrying, by the way. But um, she had been talking about this Will guy, and she called me up and said that she was having a bunch of friends over, and Will was coming, and she wanted me to meet him so that um, I could tell her which one I thought she should go for, Kyle or Will. And so I remembered walking in and seeing Will and realizing, oh, that's that cute guy from church that I saw the other week. And then really feeling conflicted because I personally would have chosen Will, but I didn't want her to choose Will. She <laughs> should go with Kyle. And then feeling really conflicted because I was dating somebody else. So, hmm. um, Woo, complicated. <laughs> I know. Uh, very complicated. Love triangle. So I actually took a liking to Caitlin, you could say, from her freshman year. Um, but I knew that she was dating someone else, this, um, this guy from a different college, actually. So I didn't really know him. But uh, anyway, I didn't ask her out, and I didn't try to get too friendly or anything because I knew she was dating somebody. And that continued for a little while, and eventually uh, I ended up going to study abroad in Scotland my junior year. And while I was there, uh, I went to visit this old castle, and a picture of me at this old castle ended up on Facebook. And Caitlin commented underneath the picture, hey, I've been there. And this went three months uh, without being noticed by me. But at, you know, three months after she'd written this comment, I saw that she'd written it. I thought, oh, wait, that's that girl. Oh, yeah, I like that girl. I'm going to write back to her. And so even though apparently she was directing the comment at my friend who was also in the picture um, and wasn't trying to write to me at all, I wrote back to it her. It wasn't your picture. Well, okay. I was in. I was tagged in the picture. But anyway, I wrote to her and I said, "Oh, hey, you've. Uh, I saw that you wrote this on this picture. I didn't know you've been there. When were you here? Um, just you know, sort of a friendly three or four lines." Uh, was this a private to, message? 
Yeah, private message. Um, not That's pretty. Any, it's but, pretty quick escalation. She like comments yeah. on a picture, and then you send a private message, so, and you're like, "Hey, girl, what's up? Me. What's going on?" <laughs> so I kind of knew I liked her a little bit. I figured it wasn't totally out of line, but uh, anyway, I knew it was a little bit of escalation. But then wait, I got wait. really excited. Pause. Pause. Because I get this message out of the blue from Will Bryan saying, "Hey, I saw you t- commented on my picture," and I. For the life of me, could not think of what he was talking about. I had to go through and click through all the pictures he was tagged in before I could find my comment on that picture. Uh, so, as soon as what, what I'm hearing is that as soon as I wrote to you, you went and looked at all my pictures because you just didn't <laughs> stop thinking about it. That me. is exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah. So obviously, she has a huge crush on me at the time, right. and um, I write to her. And I get really excited because within 24 hours, she writes back. I'd written three or four lines. She wrote back probably six or seven lines with and, some questions. Wow. And, she, and she just totally blew off the three-day rule, too. I'm yeah. A, apparently, oh. I'm a talkative person. And I thought, okay, she. this is, you know, it wasn't just, it wasn't a message with the subtext to go away. It was a message with the subtext, hey, write me back again. So I mm. did. And, you know, I wrote back an even longer message with some more questions, and she wrote back an even longer message with some more questions. And uh, this this kept going, um, and it kept going and going and going. And eventually it got to the point where... You proposed. <laughs> yes. And then we met. But even, even within a week or two, it got to the point where we were writing to each other um, every single day, uh, at least a page, sometimes more like two pages, of single-spaced... Uh, Word document. I mean, I would actually type it out in Microsoft Word first. It would be about a page long, and then I would copy and paste and send everything in. Adorable. I'm out. So from my perspective, I was like, who is this guy sniffing around? I mean, I knew who you were, and I thought you were cute. Mm. But I remember thinking, yeah, I don't want a pen pal. Sniffing around? I don't want a pen pal, so I'm going to ask him a lot of, like, hard, deep, theologically meaningful questions so he'll get the idea and stop flirting with me. <laughs> but it didn't work. He thought that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't just interested in you for how pretty you are. So anyway. Oh. Um, <laughs> so anyway, we start writing to each other, and we start writing a lot to each other. And I had some older roommates at the time, and they told me, you know, they, they were giving me advice about this whole thing. I'm constantly, you know, keeping them informed and trying to figure out, okay, what do I do next? What's my next move? And they told me that I had to somehow get to Houston to see her. And so, anyway, I'm trying to figure out a way to unawkwardly invite myself to make a three-hour drive and take her on a date. I'm wondering if, you know, that would just be way too much to suggest or if that's cool at this point or what. I didn't know. So, anyway... I'm hanging out at a at a pool hall with this older guy, and uh, he's getting married the following weekend. And I, we were with two of his his good friends, and he he's talking to him, and he asks one if he's coming to the wedding, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'll be there." It's, the other one says he's coming too. I think he felt awkward that I was just this other guy there, and I hadn't even been invited to the wedding. So he's like, "Um, yeah, well, I you can come too if you want." And I could tell that it was sort of an off-the-cuff invitation, but I didn't want to just say no right away. I didn't want to be rude. So I said, oh, where is it? And he said, oh, it's in Houston. So I accepted his <laughs> awkward, only because he felt awkward invitation and crashed his wedding and took Caitlin on a date while I was in town. Wow. That's his history. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I love and- that. Actually, uh, the Christmas after we got engaged, Caitlin had all of our – uh, stuff that we wrote back and forth to each other, all printed out and bound into a really nice book that we still have on our shelf today. Oh, that's awesome! Cool. A chronicle of your of your relationship. Mm-hmm. I actually haven't read it since I did it. It'd probably be pretty embarrassing now. <laughs> we may need to hide that. Some of it, yeah. 
We uh, it will definitely be hidden from the children. <laughs> we'll go back and look at it in another if five only years. Only for the grammar. Eh, I had good grammar. <laughs> you have to put it under lock and key. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you met, you got engaged, you got married, you've been married a little while, and then you have kids. We want to know how you you feel your marriage has changed since having kids. One and now two. Right. Well, um, I would have to say for me, I think the biggest change was going from no kids to one. I mean, don't get me wrong. Two is a two is a whole new level of um, a whole new level of fun. But I think yeah, I think the biggest change was just going from you know having the freedom to do whatever we want, be spontaneous. Which, and we did a lot of fun things. I mean, we moved to England after one year of marriage. We moved without a home. We just sort of showed up with our suitcases and decided we'd figure it out once we got there. Um, but, yeah, I think, I, think we, I think having children has forced us to be much more intentional with the time that we spend together, um, have more intentional conversations about our relationship. But I also think... It's deepened our marriage in an incredible way. I mean, watching Will become a dad has got to be one of the best things that I've ever gotten to be a part of. Um, it, you know, it gives you this whole new level of love and appreciation for your spouse. I mean, yeah, there are new frustrations that come with it, but I don't know. I think our, our kids have been such a blessing, and I can very genuinely say that um, I think we're having more fun now than we were six years ago. I'll agree to that. Yeah? Yeah. Good. The fun does have to be better planned, and it does often involve dealing with poop or tears and yes. you know things like that. Lots but of tears. but yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. And I can also echo Caitlin in that it's been really incredible to watch her become a mom, especially since uh, that's what that's what she's devoting herself to right now, and is is a full time mom, and she's just really 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 focused on uh, being the best she can be, and it's really it's really great to watch her flourish in that role. Well, that was a perfect segue. Let's talk about that. Um, Caitlin, did you always think that you'd be a full-time stay-at-home mom? or in, And if if so, um, or even if not, what's, what's now the best part about it, and what's the hardest part about it? Sure. Um, you know, I was really fortunate in that I had a mom who made it very clear to us that she loved being our mom. Um, she loved being married to our dad, and she loved our family, and she loved being our mom. And so I think it was always presented in a very positive light, the idea of motherhood. And then also, I mean, she stayed home for such a long time with us. Um, she was always home when I was, when I was around, she went, went back to work once my sister was able to drive herself to school. Um, so yeah, I definitely had that positive image in my mind. And then I think always assumed that was what I would do when we had kids. And then once I met my daughter. I just couldn't imagine handing her over to anybody else at six weeks. Um, so yeah, I was, I was very thrilled to become a mother, considered it a really great privilege and an honor to become a mother and have really enjoyed just getting to be there with my babies for the, for the day in and the day out. I mean, the hard stuff, there's, there's definitely hard stuff. I think I still kind of feel like I've had a brain transplant, um, you know, two, two months after having another baby. Uh, the sleep deprivation is real. Um, so is pregnancy brain. I mean, there's definitely times where I just think longingly of the days where I didn't have to, you know, it didn't take me two hours to get out the door, um, where uh, my time was my own in so many ways and I could just do what I wanted when I wanted to. 
Um, I do miss the days of reading books other than Curious George. <laughs> that 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 happens a lot. <laughs> um, you probably memorized you know, it at this point. Oh my goodness, yes. But you know, I mean, there's just been everything is a season. I already feel like the newborn season with Sam, our youngest, is flying by. And so, on, on the good days, I'm I'm able to put it into perspective that this is a gift, and it's and the, even the crazy times are short lived. And I'm just going to enjoy it and soak it up while I can. I think one thing that I've, I've learned becoming a parent is how hard it is to be a stay-at-home mom. And I haven't learned this firsthand. I've learned this through just watching Sally. Because, yeah. sure. you know, it's, I have a lot of fun hanging out with Esther, our daughter. But at the end of the day, or at the beginning of the day, I should say, I go to work, you know. And so there's, a, there's a, like a mental break there from being a dad. Whereas sure. Sally's in the thick of it literally 24-7. Absolutely. And she, and she doesn't get the break that I do when I go to work. Well, you never really have a break as a mom. I mean, even if, you know, even if the kids are asleep, there's a part of my brain that is always functioning. I mean, you know, that's always constantly thinking about when did they last eat? Did I, did I, <laughs> did I do everything right? Did they get this today? Did I sign them up for this? I mean, you just never completely shut that part out. Well, and it seems like even when you are sleeping as a mom, there's a part of your brain that's always listening for them because I sleep like a rock through the night and Sally, <laughs> Sally hears every little peep that Esther makes and is always getting up to check on her when she needs to be checked on and uh, it just never ends. Absolutely. It's, it's a, it's, it's not, I, I don't know when people say it's your job, it is your job, but I feel like it's more of just a lifestyle at this point. Like it's not, I don't clock in and clock out ever. Yeah. Um, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. So it's much more of a, a lifestyle than a job and it does have its frustrations. I mean, when, especially when, you know, if there's two year old toddler tantrums, you know, there are days like that where I think, you know, I think I'd rather deal with a 40 year old adult than deal with this, you know, <laughs> this mess right now, but keeping the, the end goal in perspective helps. That's a good answer. Well, Will, I wanted to ask you, uh, I know that you have, ha you have some very unique culinary preferences, uh, <laughs> and I wanted you to talk about those just for a little bit and, and skills and see if, yeah, and skills and see if okay. you can confirm that you in high school trained yourself to eat a habanero whole. That is true, actually. Um, so I actually didn't know at first which unique culinary preferences you're referring to. There are um, many. I, I do. I enjoy trying bizarre and exotic foods. I think it's fun to explore the culinary world. Um, if I go to a restaurant and see something I don't recognize, that's the thing I'm going to order. But since I was a little kid, I've been really, really excited about maybe even obsessed with uh, spicy food. And yeah, when I was in high school, my mom had a garden out back and I convinced her to give me um, maybe about a square yard of it to plant a bunch of habanero plants. And then when springtime came, I ate one a day in order to train myself to, to better withstand hot food. Just in case he was forced to, you know, at gunpoint, consume a large quantity of hot right air. i've often wondered what i would do in that situation well actually it's in real, in, yeah. the, in the gulf war they were used as a uh, as an instrument of torture there you go yeah your it's logic true. is sound again <laughs> <laughs> well no, you're joking about having to withstand those sorts of things ah, yeah, but i'm yeah. just saying i could have done well right? <laughs> um no i actually uh, it's a completely useless skill um if if you want to think of it as a skill i don't really i think of it more as just something that 
I enjoy doing. I don't fully understand why I enjoy it. I understand it sounds very strange to say that I enjoy something like that, but it really is very, uh, it's, it's fun for me to always be trying spicy new things and to try to push my limits as to, uh, as to the spicy foods I can eat. And it's amazing to me uh, how, how far those limits can be pushed. There, there are foods out there that are so unimaginably hot that, uh, oh, it's, there, there's always another, another level. <laughs> I'll put it that way. <laughs> So your culinary interests extend not just to the consumption of food, though they also extend to the creation of them. Am I right? Yes, that's true. Um, I even I make my own hot sauce, um, among other things. Among other things, yeah, I, I like to I like to make a lot of stuff. Um, if there's something that I can buy in the store, I'm going to be curious about how it's made, and if it seems reasonable to try, I may try to reproduce it at home. Um, that includes beer brewing, and hopefully one day cheese making, although I haven't convinced Caitlin yet that that's a good idea. Um, but also, also smaller projects that take less time. Cool. Well, this has been fun. Thanks so much for being on the show. It was very enjoyable to talk to you both, and we appreciate you sharing all your stories with us. It was our pleasure. Thanks, thanks for, for having, having us. us. Yeah, thanks so much. All right, we are wrapping up another episode of Vernacular Podcast. This has been episode seven, but before we sign off, let's check the inbox. Okay. Sally, what do we have? I will check the inbox. And there's nothing in there. So maybe. We can only surmise that all of our fan mail got lost in the ether right. somewhere. Yeah, our servers are down or some, something. It's the only going explanation on. for our inbox being empty. Yeah, but if you're out there and you're listening and you haven't written to us, if on the off chance you haven't sent us an email, you should. Um, and you can email us at Zach and Sally at vernacularpodcast.com. We'd love your feedback, positive or negative, so we can make this show a better listening experience for everyone. And if you have not been to our website, please check that out, vernacularpodcast.com. Also on the homepage, very important here, so listen. <laughs> You'll see instructions for people who want to be on Vernacular Podcast. And look, the bottom line here is Sally and I don't have that many friends, so we're going to run out of friends to interview on our show. <laughs> so you can fill out our questionnaire and tell us why you should be on our show. And really, it doesn't have to be a really compelling reason. We like talking to ordinary people like ourselves, so if you don't think you're that extraordinary, that's okay, because you probably are in ways that you don't know, but really, we're not looking to talk to celebrities every week, so we just want to talk to people who have interesting stories. Maybe that's you. Maybe it is. So check out our website and find that questionnaire, fill it out, and send it our way. You can also follow us on Twitter at VernacularPod. And on Facebook at Facebook.com slash VernacularPodcast. All right, that about wraps it up for us here. Our closing music today is Heroin Queen by Jordan Short and his band. For more on Jordan and his wife, Catherine, check out episode five of Vernacular Podcast. That's and a great episode. It is a great episode. But that wraps it up for this episode. So for Vernacular Podcast, I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Have a great week. Feeling better than ever When I'm by your side